0: tell me if you remember. Me if remember no telling if you remember
1: yeah i'll never forget
0: i'll never forget yeah. welcome to the hashtag #altscene podcast the show focuses on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations communities and events Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag Cause the Scene podcast. I have a guest, someone who I do not know, someone who came across my feed, and I immediately went to um, his DMs and said, hey, would you like to be on the show? I'd like to introduce you to Max Jordan, pronouns are he, him, his. Max, could you please introduce yourself to the audience?
1: Uh, Kim, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Um, so yeah, my first name is Max Jordan, last name Gamini Tiako. Uh, I often go by Max. Um, I am a, um, senior I guess final year, um, uh, medical student chronologically fifth year actually. So I took an extra year to do research. Um, so today was my sort of like first day back into the like clinical world of medical school. Um, I grew up in Cameroon, Yaoundé, in the capital city. I moved to the U.S. uh, 11 years ago. I went to Howard University for undergrad, uh, studied engineering there, went to Georgia Tech, and eventually decided to apply to medical school. So I've been here at Yale, um, in New Haven, for the last four years now, basically, or just about, yeah.
0: All right, so we always start this conversation the same way. Why is it important to call the scene, and how are you calling the scene?
1: So why is it important to cause a scene? I feel like people have different definitions of like what's causing a scene or like it has causing a scene has a range. Um, I think generally, uh, you know, there are instances where you need to cause a scene because people don't be acting right. Um, or, you know, when things aren't going the way that they should be going, um, someone has to, you know, go against the grain to, um, you know, to address whatever might be going awry or to sort of like get things back on track. Um, you know, uh, Ilhan Omar, AOC, they're like, you know, chief chiefs in terms of like causing a scene, uh, you know, a righteous scene. Um, so I think, yeah, it's important, right? Like we need dissent. We need um, people who are going to stand up for what they believe is true and what their values are, as, especially um, when perhaps the you know the the overall current is not necessarily you know like going in the in in in, a, in the best of directions. So, how am I causing a scene? I think it depends on the day and depends on the setting. <laughs> Um so I like I said I'm in medical school. Um my scenes are subtle mostly. Um I a lot of my work outside of being just a medical student uh is centered around um health equity, uh, which I feel like more recently people in medicine have been, you know, like open to this idea of like, oh you know, we need to make equi- uh, health equity sort of central to like our values, to what we teach. Um, But I feel like it hasn't always been the case. And so from that perspective, I am causing a scene every day with highlighting issues related to health inequity. So I host a podcast um, called uh, Flip the Script. Uh, And so I interview mostly people who are sort of at the margins of the space of like medicine and public health and who are doing work um, along the lines of addressing health inequities, um, so I've interviewed anthropologists, uh, historians, public health uh, folks, physicians, um, community um, community health workers. So that's one of you know it's it's a subtle way of causing a scene, I guess, right? Like changing the narrative, changing the conversation around uh, health disparities, um, both in both you know within a space of medicine, but also Uh, I think even among lay people, like, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily understand the mechanisms that cause health inequity. So I wanted to uh, bring that to light. And then on the other side of this, I write where I, and and in my writing, I do a good bit of calling, you know, folks out on their, uh, not, you know, not individual people, but like the system within which we're working. Uh, the, The most recent thing that I published I think it was the most recent. I wrote something about, um, you know, like all these medical organizations that have been sending out emails and public statements about, um, you know, standing up against police brutality and racism and all this stuff. And I'm just like, where were you four years ago, right? Uh, when mm-hmm. Orlando mm-hmm. Castillo died or when, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Mike Brown died, what is it, six years ago? Like, you know, what mm-hmm. has taken you so long? And is this, is this a performance, right? Corporate blackface. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my other way of causing a scene. And every once in a while, uh, you know, I may ask a question that interrogates, you know, um, the motives behind, you know, something that somebody said, um, or I may just flat out get in the, you know, verbal altercation over racism. That's uh, that's, you know, I mean, I try to not get into those. they you know, they're never pleasant, right? But like occasionally they happen.
0: Oh well, I um <laughs> I take a slightly different. Um, I don't I don't I don't say I get pleasure from getting into them, um, but because I um, run a community um, that's largely online, mm-hmm. I use that as a very live, very visceral learning experience mm-hmm. for folks. Um, so they could, because like folks don't, like you said, where are people being right? Um, all of a sudden everybody's woke in a pandemic. Right. <laughs> um, um, and yet they, and, and yet even in that, they're getting lazy, you know, they're not doing what they committed to doing when, 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 you know, they first put out their statements or first ran to all these, um, um, anti-racist workshops that they're no longer, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, that I got my, I got my gold star. I'm I'm done. Um, kind of thing, and so I find that um, I don't use um, John Lewis's words off <laughs> at all. But um, to me, these these discussions—and they're really not discussions on my part, because I really I rarely speak directly to those individuals—but the um, strategic gaslighting—that's what the hell I'm going to call it—strategic gaslighting that I do. Um enables a community of white folks to start seeing and spotting patterns. And I find it interesting that you are, you have an engineering background as well as medical background, because that is very, um, it's unique. That's, um, it gives you um, a a lived experience of being around technology in. Um, in
1: whatever form. What kind of engineering were you? Um... So in college, I was civil and environmental, and then I went to grad school and did bioengineering. And there, I my work for, I was focusing on medical device development, and also like you know like what is the FDA appro- approval process for those devices? That's what my thesis was on. So I designed um, like two types of devices out of a novel biomaterial, and then I, you know like sort of like design what would be the approval process for those.
0: So, yeah, so you give, and so this is, this speaks to, y'all know I go off on a tangent, and so this is what I'm going to do right now, because this speaks to why we need to hire people for their lived experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) We're no longer creating widgets. I say it all the time. We're, um, this is a knowledge economy. And your lived experience with creating um, biomedical devices, going through the process as well as now being in the hospitals um, as we're going through this mess. You see a lot of things that a lot of people um, don't even know that they don't Mm -hmm. even know. And this is the thing that gets me with all the you know, all these people have these, you know, Black Lives Matter statements, all these people want to put anti-racist. Um, I have never seen so many people reaching out to me, telling me they want to have an anti-racist organization. Like, you don't even know what the hell that mm-hmm. is. It's just some term that you're using. Um, and to have someone like you who, who, who has been has the clinical as well as the engineering background. I find it so very interesting. So I don't know where this conversation is going to go because I find this very unique um, and I'm excited about this. But could you tell me what your research was about when you took your year off?
1: Uh, so I I left New Haven. I went to Penn um, and I was, so I have two sort of like umbrellas in my research interests. I look, I'm interested in drug policy overall. And then I'm also interested in sort of like environmental policies, like, And I'm sorry. What kind of policy? Drug policy, right? Okay, Um, that's what I thought. Okay. And then Mm -hmm. my other interest is like environmental policy, especially having studied civil and environmental engineering. Sort of thinking about like how how um, how does the environment that we live in, how does the way we design our cities ultimately like impact our health? Um, um, So the projects that I worked on, one project was looking at Tree canopy coverage, like residential. I was
0: going to say, I was just going to say, I just saw some research on that. Okay, go ahead. Yeah,
1: I was looking at residential tree canopy coverage and and as it relates to maternal health. Um, And then the other project I worked on, I I was interested in, so, you know, we're obviously in the middle of an opioid epidemic. So I analyzed basically how well are we treating opioid use disorder, you know, in pregnant women over. Um, over the last decade or so, right? Have we gotten better? Where, you know, what are things that we need to improve upon? Um, so those are my two sort of like big projects this past year.
0: One of the things that's really interesting for me, and this is where um, you know, folks, that I'm about to connect some dots for you. Mm-hmm. This is where um I I challenge a lot of people. So when um I believe the, the the young woman's name is Greta. The 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 um, Greta climate Thornburg, change. Thornburg, yes. Uh, um, yeah. When she came, when she you know came here and everybody was patting her on the back and and I called it. I was like, oh, and you finally have your little your this the 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 movement finally has its perfect little white emblem. It's white mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, vision of what. Um, now people can get involved in because indigenous and people of color have been talking about these things forever mm-hmm. because these things have been in our communities. and so when you talk about the trees, one of the things that i um uh, recently was reading about you know um how, so I'm tying all this together when it comes to like redlining and suburbs and gentrification yeah. and and it comes to the fact that in inner cities when um this, um you know when you stop divesting in, um, home, if, if 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 home value is where you you know you putting all your money, like it's shitty that that's how we fund our schools. Um, when you when you stop putting that into the, what was co- considered the inner city at that time before it became gentrified, mm-hmm. there are no trees. There is nothing yeah. but concrete. There's nothing but asphalt. There's nothing but sun hitting concrete, and 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 there's rarely any grass or uh, anything. And, and and research has shown that folks in these communities have higher incidences of asthma, of, of respiratory issues, of their water not being um, clean, all these things. And yet you want, uh, white folks want to celebrate Greta, who lives in a country that does not have the stuff, these, these let me put, let me be careful. I'm not gonna say she doesn't, <laughs> what I'm going to say is she doesn't live in these communities. She knows mm-hmm. nothing about the lived experience of these communities that have these, um, these pollutants and polluters at their, in their backyards. And mm-hmm. yet we would, we want to amplify her because um, there's a, a Hulu um, documentary that's coming out about her. What mm-hmm. happened to all the Brown and indigenous people from all over the world who've been screaming about this? Where is their voices? Where, where do they get amplified? They don't. Um, and so when you saw all the, the um, the news that was coming out after her visit here was it was the the, the white media couldn't help itself. It was Greta and others. It was like, mm-hmm. what, whoa, what Where did this come from? Right. Why can't these individuals with the lived experience of this stuff be the ones that tell you what because I'm living with the asthma. I'm living with the respiratory issues. I'm living with um a food desert. So, I I am what now they call obese because the only place I can get food is from the Dollar Tree uh, Mm -hmm. or for a quick quick trip or whatever the case may be. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really insidious that folks don't see that it takes folks like you and I to sit somebody down and basically shake the shit out of them and like, come on, wake up. (laughs) 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 Um, was one of the arguments I was having um when when um Bernie was still in the um, and I don't know how you feel about this, and you know we'll we can talk about this. when Bernie was still in the race was everybody's um, um, thing was, if you were against it, well, you don't believe in Medicare for all. I was like, come on, come, wait a minute, people. Most people believe that folks should have health care. Mm-hmm. But when your candidate won't talk about race, how the hell can he talk about Medicare for all when our current medical system is fundamentally rooted in white supremacy and harming black and brown people Mm -hmm. and no one can have that conversation with me i was like this i don't care i need you to have that conversation how are you going to replicate how are you going to um um stop if it black and um infant and more um women mortality rates Mm -hmm. um because that's rooted in white supremacy how are you going to I'm sure as a medical student, there's absolutely nothing in your books that says black people have thicker, uh, thicker dermis, the <laughs> epidermis than white people. But um, medical students believe that shit. So where the hell is that coming from? That needs to be right. addressed. You know, it's like all these things that are inherently racist about the medical system and no one wants to talk about it. They, they all want to just throw the, oh, I have this Black Lives Matters. you know, like you were saying, we want to change. But you're not talking about the problems. hmm. So talk about yeah. talk to me about what that's like to be in it because I'm just on the outside looking in. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think you know, um, I, I there's a mix. So I was actually just having this conversation not long ago. Um, I think so. You mentioned the the thick skin part, right? So this is uh, this is these are findings from a study that was done at the University of Virginia. I think in around like 2016 is when it was published, and you know. A significant number or a concerning number of participants in the study did hold these sort of like very obviously debunked um, you know beliefs about black people um, but they were the minority and I actually think that that is less an issue as opposed to the sort of like general lack of empathy that people might you know that people, um, I mean, people just don't grant us the same empathy, and I and it's hard to tease out whether that is necessarily associated with like the belief that we have thicker skin, so we don't pay, uh, so we don't feel pain as much, or whether it's simply because um, I don't know, like you've had like limited contact with black people, you've absorbed all these like racist, just generally like notions about like black people being the boogeyman, and so is that why um, you know you might feel less empathy for black people. And like, for me as a med student, it's always a little hard to tease out, you know, as I look at the data and also like observe behaviors, it's always like, well, obviously like, you're not an idiot. Okay, so I'm gonna you stop don't... you right there. I'm gonna stop yeah. you right there for one mm-hmm. reason.
0: I, want, I, won't, I don't wanna miss, go past this. Did you hear mm-hmm. folks, did you hear he said he looks at the data and also observes behavior. He uses mixed methods. He's not relying only on quantitative data, which tech just loves and has and and, and and gives no value to qualitative data, which helps to explain the data you have. So I wanted to, and because I'm always having that conversation. So I'm happy you said that without me prodding it or anything, mm-hmm. because it is important that people understand. When you tell me, oh, we had the data. My questions is, my questions become: Who decided what questions to ask? Who asked Mm -hmm. the questions? Who answered the questions? Who got to evaluate the questions? All these things are about qualitative, and no one wants to have those conversations. But I just wanted to because um, I do this because my audience is largely white folks, and I need Mm -hmm. them to understand. So I just, you just set it up perfectly for me to say, see, (laughs) people in the space are using um, qualitative data, um, um, or mixed methods. And also before you get started again, I really want to hit on the opiate thing because that's Mm -hmm. your background. And it says so much about why black people didn't get caught up in the opiate addiction in the beginning. How we're in it now is because of illegal. We weren't prescribed opioids because we weren't, um, our pain is never believed. So I just go ahead
1: yeah so yeah I was saying that uh you know, looking at data but also observing behavior right like i've seen people kind of like doubt whether somebody who's black whether like their pain is serious or like or are they faking it, even if it's someone who's like here for like a sickle cell pain crisis there's just like you know the, the sort of like stereotype around pain uh, uh, pain medication seeking behavior um, that uh, is often ascribed especially to like your black and brown patients. And but I, I also watch the people who you know either like kind of uphold these stereotypes or just kind of like go along the flow, and it's like you're not an idiot, you don't think I, I have thicker skin, uh, right? So, based on that, I, I what I draw from that is just like a it's more of a matter of like you know the the activation of uh, of like the stereotypes and the racism that people hold and you know in their mind. Uh, and it's almost kind of contagious, right? When people witness those who are above them, um, uh, you know, propagate mm-hmm. uh, negative attitudes towards black patients, it you know, it carries forward. In fact, this has been studied, um, like medical students who have witnessed, like either who have witnessed their attitudes, um, uh, sorry, who have witnessed their educators, right, express negative views or make negative comments about black people um, are like less likely to want to serve minority patients. They're less likely to want to work in underserved communities. Um, So I think it isn't so much about people uh, just believing, you know, wrongly held notions. Like, yes, those people do exist. Uh, But I, I think generally there's sort of like the contagious nature of biases, uh, and like lack of um, of empathy granted towards black people uh, and you know all of that is obviously like rooted in people 's like prior experiences you know many of them have like you know basically gone to segregation academies mm-hmm. never had a black friend before <laughs> the're only black you know they mean like the the only images of black folks that they know or i mean and i 'm you know generalizing here, but like the only images of black people that many know uh are negative and it doesn't help, like, and people sometimes think that, like, oh, having had, like, you know, having had a black president, like, changes uh, people's, <laughs> like, attitudes, to a, it doesn't. You so know for being, a fact it doesn't. <laughs> right, right. Being in med school um, has made it, you know, it's, I, I feel like this is not the, the, the first time that I've been, in, like, in the white space, right? I went to graduate school at Georgia Tech, uh, but... I feel like it's been probably the most eye-opening experience when it comes to like educating me about how racism works and how racism is communicated.
0: Everyone in the Hashtag Call the Scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, Lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com. When it comes
1: to like educating me about how racism works and how racism is communicated.
0: Yeah, it's it's um it's insidious. It's. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's, and again, like I like you just articulated, it's not written down anywhere. It's an observed behavior Mm -hmm. that people pick up these things. And, um, when they don't challenge them, they become ingrained and it gets passed on from one generation of doctors to the next generation of doctors.
1: Yeah. We call that a silent curriculum, literally. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. It's not like the official curriculum. It's Mm -hmm. silent, but people do adopt it. Um, Yeah.
0: Um so what have you um cuz i think the article the tweet that got my attention let me get to it mm-hmm. um was about um, it was uh, you were responding to someone who said covid-19 is disproportionately affecting um, is disproportionately affecting black uh, African-Americans and other minority com- companies. And he had just gotten off a Zoom call. Yeah, communities. And mm-hmm. you j- he just gotten off a Zoom call and you um, kind of let him have it.
1: <laughs> um, oh God. Yeah. So Francis Collins, uh, he said, COVID-19 is disproportionately affecting African-Americans and other minority communities. He got on a Zoom call with the Congressional Black Caucus to discuss why and how the NIH can address this. And I was like, oh, really? Um, okay, because- so I'm gonna stop you right there because if you can see his face,
0: <laughs> you can see the the skepticism and the, sarcasm, the the sarcasm in your tone, in your face. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> okay, this is why I said this, right? Francis Collins, director of NIH. So not, not long ago, like I think it was the fall. Uh, I'll stop
0: you right there. What does the NIH stand for?
1: Sorry, National Institute of Health. So okay. that's like the branch of the federal government that does a lot of like, you know, funding uh, research uh, across, you know, academic institutions and even nonprofit, basically funding science, uh, funding science, among others, right? There's a National Science Foundation, but NIH focuses on health related research, right? So there's a study that came out. Um, and I think one of the reasons why this study was done in the first place is that there is ample evidence that black scientists are, I think half as likely to get their grants funded, um, right? So both at the junior and senior level, like black faculty, um, uh, be it in in the sort of like in clinical medicine or basic science or you name it, they're not as likely to get funded for their work. Uh, And so they were like, oh, why is that? Like, what are the reasons? And so they went and investigated. And one of the things that they found is one, the, uh, that black scientists are more likely, you know, when you think about health, are more likely to, to, to study or to, to submit grants that want to focus on like community health, addressing racial disparities. Um, and, and basically those things are the lowest like scored, they're, you know, they're, they're, like, they're, the, le- they're le- the least funded uh, uh, topics from the NIH. So, like, people who want to study community health, health equity, um, uh, patient-centered, you know, like, you know, uh, patient-centered, patient-centered, like, methods uh, in terms of, like, you know, clinical care. Uh, There are other other things that are also, like, really poorly funded, like, they look at keywords, right? Ovary was a keyword. Uh, So, basically, women's health, right? So, they look at the things, so it's almost like, if you do health equity work, you're far less likely to get funded, right? But then, uh, on top of that, what they find out is among the people who do health equity work, white people are more <laughs> likely to 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 get funded than black people, right? Yes. And so, the people
0: with the with without the lived experience.
1: <laughs> yep, uh, that's
0: why we keep running to Robin DiAngelo and her fucking um, white fragility instead of all the black women who've written books on how to um, address racism, but that's a whole nother interview. Go ahead. (laughs) I
1: actually haven't read that book. Um, So (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, the, so white people who do, who study health equity work are more likely to get funded. And so there was like this sort of like question as to whether um, the difference like within that realm is like maybe rooted in like the chosen methods. Like, Oh, you know, like what methodologies are, are, you know, black scientists like sort of like more likely to adopt or to propose in their projects versus white scientists? I mean, they 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 haven't quite gotten to the root of like <laughs> oh they know why. the
0: root. They don't want to, They don't want to name the root.
1: Uh, <laughs> so I mean, I when I saw that, and I was like, okay, it's really interesting that you um that, you know, you want to try to identify. I mean, like now, right? Like in the middle, the pandemic is now, it's happening, right? There is, I mean, what are you going to do as NIH director? Um, no shade. Like, I mean, the federal, I mean, it, sure, it, you know, NIH met with the Congressional Black Caucus, but like the reasons as to why these disparities are occurring are like so glaringly obvious, right? And so the NIH is, is one of many institutions that that contribute to us not making progress on addressing health disparities and you know, through their funding mechanism, right? The Nancy Krieger did a study, Nancy Krieger is like a superstar epidemiologist at Harvard. And she found that for instance, like in terms of uh, NIH funding granted towards like uh, uh, matters of health disparities, like the ratio between studies that look at genetics versus studies that look at um, social determinants of health, it's like 500 to one, right? So there's this kind of like disproportionate focus on identifying or, you know, identifying sort of like sort of very basic science related roots of uh, uh, or root causes of health disparities, health inequities, uh, and, and not so much a focus on the social conditions, right. That, that we know are significant, if not, you know, huge drivers of these health inequities. So I'm, when, when I see that, I'm like,
0: and when you say, as you're talking about that, it sound it's so, it's so insidious. It is so insidious because you have the, one of the main organizations that you say that funds research, being a gatekeeper to the vital research that we need to make decisions and to move forward Mm -hmm. and instead of actually getting the fuck out the way they want to have a a exploratory (laughs) discussion uh when the research is already out there and this goes again to why I, i i i challenged um uh, Medicare for all because no one wants to talk about the elephant in the room. It is white supremacy. It is is racist. It's anti-black. It's all of these things that no one wants to talk about. Um, that if we talked about those extenuating circum circumstances, those lived experiences, as you said, those are the ones that don't get funded. That stuff is in there,
1: and that Hold stuff on, is direct,
0: and that stuff is a direct and direct. Is what am I trying to say? Is in opposition to the narrative,
1: yeah. Although I will say, um, Medicare for all, like having a sort of like universal health system would be beneficial in terms of addressing some of the inequities that we're seeing, not all, but the inequities like within the healthcare system. But well, see,
0: that's my, my no, my point is yes, people, healthcare is, 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 is I believe, is a right, mm-hmm. and yet when you politicize. That I mean uh, make that a because I live in a state that de- decided they, they gotta out a Medica of um, um Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. So if you're um I can't afford insurance because I didn't get the Medicare, um, they didn't extend Medicare. Mm-hmm. I qualify for it because I'm you know a, a struggling business, but I don't have health insurance because I can't afford eight and nine hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. So unless you're gonna do talk about that stuff, and then it's about understanding why those systems were put in place, why in certain states those um limitations were made. Right. We need to talk about all of that.
1: Yep, yeah, agreed. Right. The states there the the so I think as of recently, one is it Kentucky, Missouri, not Kentucky. Missouri just voted to um to expand Medicaid. Uh but before then it was exactly fourteen states that had not had that had yet to expand Medicaid and obviously like you know, they're all run by either, like by Republicans. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah.
0: And so that was my issue. So it's not the fact of the, the, you know, the plan of everybody needs healthcare. I look at hell, everybody in the UK has healthcare and it's still racist right. they, shit. Yeah, they
1: have, like even, you know, amid COVID-19, the the, the black folks in the UK, Uh, are also more likely. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, healthcare is only one piece of the pie, right? Like healthcare, there's this um, uh, CDC uh, sort of like infograph that suggests or shows that like healthcare, and by healthcare, I mean the interaction that you and I would have with the healthcare system, right, getting vaccines, uh, going to the doctor, blah, blah, blah. It's only like 10 to 20% of this whole equation. But I don't even like to necessarily Put a number on it because it's a. I think of it as a as a system, right? Like healthcare functions with housing. It's it all. It's like like gears, you know. You know, nuts and bolts. Like so. Like in some instances, healthcare may only be one percent, and in some others, uh, like if you're homeless, like healthcare can, can only do but so much, right? Because like home, like housing is like so 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 vital in that condition
0: and that's the thing we need to think about systems and that's why we talk about the syst- uh, systemic and not right. just these silos
1: exactly so, so yes
0: uh, and but- that's when it goes back but i want to take us back because i want to make sure my audience gets it mm-hmm. he's just he, he max just connected the dots right about a system and yet he's t- he's told us that the nih this this is the work that the that that is less funded the answers we need is the work that's not getting funded
1: right yeah It's stuff stuff out here
0: <laughs> man it is uh so one of the things i want wanted to talk about since i have a, a black physician on um is cuz i've been saying this and people, I'm always saying something but people consider controversial. And to me, it's just common sense. Um, with, Because you brought up CDC. It's gonna be hell getting people in marginalized communities to take any kind of vaccine. Because th- this whole system is, um, mm, th- mm-hmm. any, any, any trust that these communities had with it's weathering away. Oh, it's gone. I'm not going to say withering away. I've had several conversations with people in my family and I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to stay in the house. Cause I just, I just, I, I it is, I, they have it. this. And I can't say it started with this administration because I just really want to make people understand because everybody wants to throw it on Trump. Cause they want to get back to the status quo. That's
1: been
0: going, yeah. Yeah. We're not trying to get back to the status quo, but what I can tell you is, this administration has shown a spotlight on all the ways that mm-hmm. we just get fucked. And the fact that science, I feel like I'm in the uh, medieval times.
1: It's like, I'm like, right. what, what the hell are y'all doing? So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right? Um, I, this is, as you said, this is not new. Medical mistrust has, you know, deep, deep, deep roots. Uh, the medical field has been an accomplice and oppression uh, of black folks, you know, first centuries, right? Like there were physicians who, physicians were instrumental in like the freaking transatlantic slave trade, uh, right? And, and so the the history is so long. Um, and I mean, you know, we can talk about so much of the medical, in, you know, in, uh, 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 experimentation that was done on black folks, you know, mm-hmm. think about the Tuskegee experiment, which is like the, one of the most popular things that get talked about, or like, you know, um, those doctors that Johns Hopkins stealing Henrietta, really, they stealing, stealing Henrietta Lacks of Cells. And those are like the two big, you know, like events that we talk about, but there are so many more, um. Oh, I, often, I
0: often share the one about um oh yeah Mary, um woo, sterilization, but I often share the one about um the slave owner who experimented with the on the black women um, oh,
1: Marion Sims, yes. who was considered to be the father of obstetrics oh the yes. father of gynecology yes um yeah, so yeah, there's so many of those, and so it gets passed down through generation and and it's sort of like lore right like people. People won't necessarily tell you why. Like, if you ask, I mean, some people will, but, like, people won't necessarily point to the very thing that makes them not trust. They're just like, "Uh uh-uh, we don't trust the government's vaccine, or (laughs) or we don't, right? Like, I tell you, over Christmas break, so I I said earlier, I grew up in Cameroon, but Mm. um, my family here in the U.S. is mostly Black American from, like, from D.C. and North Carolina. So, basically, my uncle, who's my dad's oldest brother, uh, married into a Black family here. And so you know, they've taken me as one of theirs. So I spend every holiday with them. And so over Christmas break, you know, I'm at this table with four generations of black women, you know, all the way down to my cousin who's a freshman in college um, in Georgia, in Atlanta. And I'm like, okay, it is, it's Christmas time. Have I gotten a flu shot? Everybody's like, hell no, I ain't never gotten a flu shot a day in my life. I'm like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? I need <laughs> you to get your flu shot. And they're like, nope, nope, nope. I'm like, so, I, I mean, it ends up be, being literally like, you know, your typical, Christmas dinner, like family fight (laughs) where, you you know, and and we're fighting over the flu shot. I mean, Mm -hmm. it it wasn't even a real fight. It was just me trying so hard to convince my kinfolk, like, yo, I need y'all to get your flu shot because I have seen people die of the flu. This is no joke, right? But they're just like, nope, nope, nope. I don't trust it. I don't trust the government. And... It's telling, right? Like, and and even and people often think that like this mistrust is rooted in like oh people not being educated. And I'm like, no, like in this family that I speak of, like my aunt's a lawyer. She was she has a JD from Howard University.
0: That's the thing, exactly. We know we know more about
1: the history of our shit than anybody does. Yeah, it's not only you know education is not the only element exactly. of it, right? There's there's like deep seated, right, passed down generation generation. I mean, the only reason why two people at the table have gone had gotten. Have gotten it. My aunt is a respiratory therapist, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so she works in healthcare. She mm-hmm. has to get her flu shot. And mm-hmm. then Grandma Puki is elderly, and so my aunt, who's a respiratory a respiratory therapist, she's not playing around with her mama walking around <laughs> not getting a flu shot. She's like, "You're old. You're mm-hmm. getting a flu shot because I'm because the flu really does kill." And old. I'm gonna have to take care of you. You get sick, right? So. But everybody else was like, nope, 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 not getting a flu shot, not getting a flu shot. Uh, and there's such deeply seated mistrust. Uh, and that's
0: just a flu shot that they're asking people to do every, every year. Every year. Now you're talking about a COVID vaccine. And no, every there is, whoo, the, the level of lying, <laughs> the level of just absolute, it, 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 and it saddens me it absolutely saddens me because all I can tell tell from my old folks is y'all, I need y'all to stay in the house I just need y'all to stay in the house <laughs>
1: well I also do need folks to okay so this is hard right i i, I I'm in medical school like I believe in science right yes. and so this is a tough conversation so here's the thing if if we don't participate in vaccine trials so I'm going to use another vaccine example, HPV, right? That's the vaccine that's supposed mm-hmm. to prevent cervical cancer. So Australia has managed to eradicate cervical cancer from its population because everybody as a teenager is getting the, the HPV vaccine, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I got an HPV vaccine before I turned 26. Praise the Lord. I mean, it's not just cervical cancer. HPV also causes oropharyngeal cancer. Uh, so what's the name? Michael Douglas had yeah. mm-hmm. o- o- oropharyngeal cancer. Uh, Word has it, it was from Catherine Zeta Jones. Yeah, he's not gonna he, get he messy. Said, but- no, no, we're gonna <laughs> talk about he said he got it from eating his wife's pussy. That's what he said. Exactly, right? Like so, I mean that is a common way for men to get it. and, and mm-hmm. there is no test, by the way, right? Women, you know, you can get the pap smear. Yeah. Uh, there there's not a way of testing, you know, for there there are three strains of the H- of HPV that mm-hmm. are known for causing cancer. Uh we don't have a test for that in men. Mm-hmm. So, so, but here's the thing: there's a study that showed, right, the the strains of HPV that are more commonly found among Black girls or Black teenagers um, are not as hardly targeted by the vaccine that is being circulated. Why is that, right? Like things like that. You think about who was who were the participants in the vaccine yeah. trial, mm-hmm. right? So if we do not participate in in this in the scientific process we will get left out of um, we get left out of the effectiveness of treatments
0: I'm now ready to articulate and to publicly share my need to shift from causing the scene. Currently this work, this push for equity, for minimizing harm, and for prioritizing the most vulnerable is collectively viewed by many as noise Bullying, troublemaking, as contrarian for controversy's sake, rather than what it is a necessary evolution for the overall health and well being of those who work for us, partner with us, buy from us, invest in us, and society as a whole. My focus from this day forward is to forge a path to welcoming and psychological safety in systems, institutions, and policies at scale because I will no longer put new wine into old wineskins. My team and I will be spending the next few months making the necessary changes to ensure that my new commitment to doing the proactive work of leading a movement framed by the guiding principles and seen through an anti-racist lens strategically happens with a relaunch on Juneteenth. To be kept informed of our progress, please follow me on Twitter at K-I-M-C-R-A-Y-T-O-N-1 Kim Creighton One, and on our new Kim Creighton's Community Cafe Discord server. When I started Hashtag Cause Scene in 2019, it was out of my frustration that no one was listening. Now that you're listening, it's time to get to work. Thank you for the years of support, and I'll meet you on the other side. Have a wonderful day.
1: We get left out of the effectiveness of treatments ultimately. I'm going to use another example. Uh, so kidney transplant, right? So, or, or any transplant for that matter, right? So black folks are, have the highest rates of chronic kidney disease. So we're most likely to require a kidney transplant and then like genetics play into this. So like, you know, the best person to give you a kidney is probably somebody in your family. Um, and so then there is a drug out there that is otherwise a fantastic drug, right? Called tacrolimus we call it TAC. Uh, and so the way you dose this medication, you're, you're, um, you dose on what we call the trough, like, you know, what's like the, the bottom, as opposed to the peak, you dose based on a trough, right? Mm-hmm. So it turns out, because again, there were so few black people in the trial. So evidence now is suggesting that black people are quote unquote super metabolizers of this medication, and so and, and and to an extent, Asian people too. So basically, oftentimes you have black folks who, if you if you're going to put a black person on uh there is a small chance. You know, we're not going to we're not going to do the race essentialism thing here, where we're just going to assume that every black person is going to be a, a super metabolizer of. Mm-hmm of tacrolimus. In fact, like, why do we call the black people the super metabolizer or hyper metabolizer? And why why are the white people- The default, call, the hypo, normal. Right, yes. like yes. hypo- metabolizer yes. right? Yes, like, exactly. Uh, exactly. But either way, there is a chance, right? It's not like a prescribed situation, but there is a chance that as a black person um, on tacro- tacrolimus, you end up needing uh, nearly twice as much tacrolimus as, as a white person. But the problem with that is it is also toxic and then can cross the blood-brain barrier when it reaches high doses, and it also is like nephrotoxic, as in like it could be it could cause like it could cause an acute rene- uh, kin- uh, acute renal failure. So imagine, right, this drug that is meant to prevent rejection of a graft, right, rejection of a nor- of a brand new kidney that you just got, can also cause failure of the same kidney in the way that it's currently meant to be dosed, and so the way around it is they recently designed a new medication that's meant to be like extended release so that it won't be hyper metabolized for people who are hyper metabolizers. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. we didn't know about it until we saw people doing poorly on, on tech mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and had the trials included more black people. That, and you this know, is,
0: and this is the reason why I was excited when, when, when the, um, um, Apple Watch came out. This is why I did get excited when the Apple Watch came out, because they a, a, um, introduced it um, with um, five, it was five clinical trials when they first introduced it. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember what they were, but that was, what I was really excited.
1: It was because, something about atrial fibrillation. Yeah. yeah.
0: Because I really got excited because clinical trials have been for the elite anyway. You had to be, know about them. Your doctor had to know about them. It wasn't for your everyday person and yeah now, I mean it's
1: not easy to participate in the in the clinical trial right they require you to to show up to the clinic exactly. time and time and time to get more yeah. labs yeah like it's I, it, yeah it's not easy <laughs> so
0: I really thought I really thought this would be a, a gateway into getting more
1: people people interested in participating in a scientific process
0: yes, participating in um and yet then you have to deal with how these companies how these people are using data <laughs> and that's right, a whole right. other thing
1: <laughs> right that, i mean you know, it's, it's a messy issue. it's yes. very messy yes uh but i'm telling you if we don't participate in the scientific process we will get left out
0: no i get it i absolutely get it my th- I, I i absolutely get it
1: but it's not on our it's not on us right like that's I think, what I was about to say, because what will
0: happen is we'll get shamed for not doing that. And we don't you don't do you don't do that shit to, to people who have yeah, a fucking lived history of being
1: treated. Like, of yes, being abused. Of, exactly. Of
0: exactly. being abused. So exactly.
1: It, it's on the I mean, and so there are folks who are doing this well, who are, you know, sort of like doing community based participatory work where like you have community health workers whose job is, to, you know, to, to be that bridge. Right. So that uh, it's like culturally informed. Uh, it's not just like a random, you know. You're not just like coming from, uh, you know, from your, you know, from the university and being like, oh yeah, we're here to experiment on you or whatever, right? Like so. Yeah, because they've built relationships in the community. People trust them. They have psychological safety,
0: and yet you have the CDC changing, making exact proclamations or whatever based on pressure from the government. It's like what? the...
1: Let me tell you something. <laughs> this is the problem with political appointees, right? The CDC, the head of the CDC is appointed by the president of the United States. And, you know, so is the head of HHS. Like a lot of these agencies that are truly meant to be, uh, you know, um, how do you call that? Nonpartisan or whatever. Mm-hmm.
0: They are ultimately
1: yeah. political appointees, right? Even though like the current head of CDC is a is a physician. Uh, he is a conservative physician, right? In the nineteen in the 1980s, during the AIDS epidemic, uh, he was... Among those who are, you know, like saying, uh, you know, screaming, abstinence is the way, right? Oh, he is not to be trusted from that, like in that perspective, and, and and so you're right, like pressure from the government. I mean, I have been so so disappointed in the CDC. I used to swear by the CDC, and I'm not kidding when I said this. Yes, I mean,
0: and that's and that's what I've heard. I've heard people who are like who are in the city, they're like, that used to be the pride and joy of the city. And now we're just like, what the hell?
1: So, I mean, and and when I tell you, when I got into this the flu argument with the fam- with my family, right, my whole thing was always like, oh, like, look, y'all, this this from the CDC, <laughs> right? I used to get on the CDC's website, but not even as a healthcare, as a person in healthcare. Like, ever since the CDC, first of all, they messed up so many ways, right, in so many ways. So, and i've been thinking a lot about this and i i i told you i write a lot right I, I there's a piece to be written about how the CDC has made it even more difficult for people like me who are in healthcare but have a bridge to black communities yes, um, to do your to, damn job to do my job as mm-hmm. a as a as a as a bridge as a science communicator as mm-hmm. a as a translator um of you know the health you know the, of the science for my folks like even my family because I don't even, I mean, I hope that there will be a time again where I will feel way more comfortable with this, you know, with like what I see on that website. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, there's something, I mean, it's not all bad. uh, Don't get me wrong. Right. But like, for instance, one day the CDC was telling healthcare workers to wear bandanas if they are running out of PPE. And I say, you have got to be kidding me. Right. We know the evidence on bandanas is not good. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. Why are you right? You're the, the the CDC is the sort of like is the mothership, mm-hmm, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And so had a had a wonderful reputation.
1: <laughs> the guidelines that the CDC is putting out should never be like sort of like okay, well shit, shit is hitting the fan, so y'all just gonna have to do what you gotta do. <laughs> put a bandana on. That, that that's what the CDC told us. I said, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> exactly all, all, you know what every man for himself <laughs> literally when i say, hold on. i mean and then there you know there was an outcry among the uh healthcare community i mean nurses um the uh the uh nurse, nursing unions like filed the osha complaint uh about this ppe stuff um uh, people
0: don't understand and, and someone broke this down i was watching it th- um when when the recent um um when it was uh, the recent changes in the um, saying about testing and that people, if you don't have symptoms, oh, yeah. oh, you don't have God. to. And, and, it, and it took someone to break it down because it's even more insidious than that, right? It's insurance companies follow the CDC guidelines. Mm-hmm. This was going to be a way for them not to pay for testing and that people were going to have to pay for their own test if even if they were asymptomatic.
1: That well, is, but that I will like, say though, uh, let me stop you there. Mm-hmm. If you're asymptomatic, you're not seeking testing. Like no one in their yes. right mind is just like seeking. It, you know, so I don't think I I don't know that's necessarily that was like necessarily a way for insurance companies to like uh to 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 get away. No no no. I mean, no I'm not
0: saying that, that they were doing it. I'm just saying that was that burden of paying for that was going to be put now on.
1: If uh, if, if I mean those if, tests are really cheap, honestly, right? Like Yale just put out a test that costs like four dollars to make us the saliva test that the NBA sponsored uh like they're not that expensive um so i think the the i think when the cdc was like oh, stop testing asymptomatic people it was like we're giving up throwing the towel like tyrese said like they they're like Right, because the purpose of testing asymptomatic people is to get ahead yes, of transmission. Exactly, that's my—that's what I thought. <laughs> right, but I think they're just like, listen, throw in the towel. We are gonna be into this
0: shit into twenty, well into twenty twenty one. Good God Almighty! <laughs> uh,
1: don't tell me that because I got a yes, graduation sir. ahead of yes, me. Yes, <laughs> sir.
0: That's on you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I—I I mean, there are so many different. I don't things. see
0: myself traveling into
1: at least spring of twenty twenty one. Listen, right? I. I'm about to look into this vaccine trial because I mean, I'm hoping that maybe, I mean, what's her name? It's a black woman that's leading the the uh, the, the vaccine development at NIH, uh, Kismika Corbett, Dr. Kismika mm-hmm. Corbett. She has a PhD in vaccinology. Uh, and some of the, you know, some of the conversation early on was that potentially there might be, there was this question of like, Oh, could there potentially be like an emergency release uh, of the vaccine specifically for healthcare workers. I'm going to be first in line if that should, I mean, excuse my language. I'm going
0: to be, oh, you gotta, that shit. Gonna be Go first in
1: line. I mean, I, to, I just told my roommates yesterday, you know, we started cleaning our place as we finished moving in. I say, we're throwing a rager when that vaccine comes out. <laughs> when we're all getting vaccines, <laughs> we're like, all right.
0: Uh, this has been a great conversation. We've kind of gone all over the place, which I love. Is there anything you would like to say before you leave?
1: Huh? this is a tough one. Uh, I think, so I want people to, so, you know, your lay audience to become more acquainted with like the different things that cause what we see in terms of health inequities. Um, what I've, what I have found in just like navigating the internet, uh, both among like black, white, uh, lay people, but also among, um, Uh, like, you know, folks in healthcare is that people tend to misattribute the causes of disparities to one thing versus the other. When, again, we talked about things being, it's a system, right? So um, when Chadwick Boseman died at 43, rest in peace, I was super heartbroken, and I got on Twitter and everybody started yelling, black men, go get your colonoscopy. Uh, He died at, you know, he was diagnosed at 39. I don't care if you're 50 uh, or I don't care if you're 30, go get your colonoscopy. I was like, hold on, y'all. That's Mm -hmm. not how this works, right? Like, Mm Um, let's like we don't know enough about what you know, we don't know enough about Chadwick. We don't know whether he yes. carried a gene. Like yeah. we we have no clue whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think sometimes we can be really quick to extrapolate and attribute um uh you know the risk or the things that happen to one thing. Especially in the space of health, right? Like, oh, you hear you hear that Beyonce had to have an emergency C-section, and we're immediately blaming it on medical racism. And I'm like, you don't, we don't know. We were, we did not have the data. We only heard that Beyonce had an emergency C-section because one of the baby's heart rate dropped. And 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 boom, people are like, oh yeah, medical racism. Even Beyonce can't escape. Like these huge leaps that sometimes we make, uh, I think are counterproductive, right? Uh, especially when we only have one data point. So uh, I just invite folks to, again, look at the data, look at the behavior like we talked about earlier, right? Yeah, um, yeah As yeah. opposed to just and, anecdotes.
0: And also the, the, there's a difference between causation and, 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 and correlation. And
1: correlation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so to that effect, I invite folks to check out my podcast that basically sort of tries to break down mechanisms from history, anthropology, sociology, epidemiology, and clinical care. We try to break down mechanisms um, that uh, uh, explain how we got here in terms of health inequities in different arenas. It's Flip the Script, um, and, and the, the handle is, is FlipScriptPod on Twitter. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter, Max Jordan on this and that's me.
0: And I will include all of these um, links, these Twitter links, in, in um, the show episode.
1: All right. Uh, This was great. This was fun.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for being on here. As I told you, you know, two black folks on here is going to go like.
1: (laughs) Right. I was like, oh, shit, it's seven o'clock already. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I got to watch that versus with Monica. Oh,
0: yeah. At at eight o'clock. Yes.
1: (laughs) Exactly. You already know. All
0: right. Thank you. Uh, Have a
1: wonderful day. Thank you. All right. Bye bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Call the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Call the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Call the Scene community. Just visit the website at HashtagCalltheScene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.